live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen, Seth, back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We are powered by Drivers Village. Phone lines open the rest of the way at 315-437-7644. Our thanks to Mike Mazio from the New York Daily News uh, joining us on a very busy day. Winter meetings underway down in Florida. Uh, obviously the biggest story over the weekend, though, certainly uh, up here in the Northeast. John Carlos Stanton, now a member of the New York Yankees. And, you know, he, he mentioned that this lengthens the lineup. One guy we didn't even talk about in that first segment, Aaron Boone has a guy on his team that batted 287 last year with 25 homers and 87 RBIs. He's probably going to be the sixth hitter uh, in the lineup, the number six uh, spot, and that's D.D. Gregorius. I mean, this the, the options that Aaron Boone has, even when Incredible. guys need to take a day off, I mean, the lineup that he's going to be able to put together, um, it's it's quite impressive, really from top to bottom. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely incredible what the Yankees are going to be able to put out there. Like, think, think about this. In, in some order here, and this is how I probably would, would order it, right, is you've got Brett Gardner leading off, Aaron Judge batting second, Giancarlo Stanton batting third, Greg Bird batting fourth, Gary Sanchez is going to bat fifth on this team? I think I mean, so. That's, that's incredible. D.D. Gregorius is going to bat sixth, and, and he had a hilarious tweet yet, uh, on Saturday after hearing the news. He tweeted, at uh, Aaron Boone, hey, Skip, am I still batting cleanup? Because he did that so often last year out of necessity, right? Now he's going to go bat sixth, and then you're going to have Aaron Hicks, and you're going to have Chase Headley, and you're going to have you know Glaber Torres, or you're going to have Miguel Andujar to, to play third. Like th- this lineup is is really long and 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 circular and and that's kind of what we saw at the end of the year, right? That's what we saw in the playoffs, uh, particularly the playoff games at home, was this lineup was very long. It was a it was a circular lineup. There was not an easy out in the lineup, and and that's when uh, you know those are the teams that are the best, right? Those are the teams that go and win a World Series. The teams that one through nine can hit and make you pay. Um, and the Yankees are certainly going to have that going into next year. And and without another move being made, and and you know I think we can expect in the off season some other things will be done. But as this roster stands right now on December 11th, the expectations it feels like have have shot up for for next year, given how this season ended and the fact that they you know the Yankees made an unexpected run. I think maybe a year or two ahead of schedule, and now you add John Carlos Stanton to the mix of what was already a very potent offense. You get some some fresh blood in, you know, with your new manager and Aaron Boone, and it feels like there is going to be pressure on Aaron Boone to win immediately with oh, this yeah. roster that he has. Oh yeah, and it was the same thing that happened to Joe Girardi, right? Because Girardi gets thrown into the fire as manager, and sure, he had the one year experience, and it was a bad Marlins team, uh, but he had the one year experience, and he gets thrown into the fire with the Yankees, and they go out and they sign CC Sabathia, they sign Mark Teixeira, and they sign AJ Burnett, and next thing you know. They go from missing the playoffs to being easily, far and away, the favorites to go win the World Series. Now, this year's Yankees team had expectations on it already, right? And I I don't think anybody would deny that. They were already expected to do something pretty great, considering that they were one game away from the World Series last year. Um, Now, they're, they're just... You know, they, they add another prolific home run hitter. Uh, there, there are so many incredible stats, you know, and, and incredible like anomalies when it comes to uh, Stanton and Judge and Sanchez and, and building this Yankees team. But this one might be my favorite one. The Yankees will be the, f- the second team in baseball history 
to have two players who hit 50 home runs the previous year in their lineup. The only other one is the 1962 Yankees, who of course had Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. So like, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about, you know, coming off a historic season in 1961, and this is the only other, you know, matchup of that, mashup of that. Like, there's just so many numbers to have fun with. Uh, But like, this Yankee team is going to hit a lot of home runs. They're going to strike out a lot, <laughs> yes, and they are going to walk a lot. Uh, you know, the analytics people like the three true outcomes, right? And, and that's what's going to happen this year. Walks, strikeouts, homers. Talk about giving Aaron Judge some protection in that batting order. Put John Carlos Stanton behind him, and again, Bird slash Sanchez behind Stanton. I mean, now John Carlos yeah. Stanton's going to have some protection in the they, lineup as well. They need, I, I, I think what Mike said, and, and I had been thinking about it, you have to hit Stanton behind Judge uh, for the pure reason of I want Aaron Judge facing as many fastballs yeah. and hanging sliders as possible, and I don't want him facing breaking balls out of the out of the zone. And if you have somebody like you know, and as great as Gary Sanchez is, that he was still getting those pitches out of the zone to go chase. If you have Stanton who will hit a ball a mile. And After, you can't pitch around Stanton either, right. because then you got Bird and Sanchez. I mean, this, right. and then, you know, DD batting sixth. I mean, this lineup, again, one through six, as you said, one through nine, there, there are no easy outs, but one through six. I mean, that is brutal. Give me another lineup that's better in baseball, one through six, than, than what we just rattled yeah. off uh, right there. 315 437 7644. Let's get to the phone lines. John in Syracuse, first up today on Orange Nation. Hey, John. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Good. How about yourself? Uh, pretty, pretty good. Um, so I, I guess it's, I get a lot of crap now because my friends are telling me it's unfair to be a Yankees fan right now. Uh, <laughs> it's well, jealousy. And, 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 and they say this crap and, and I'm really upset because you took the words out of my mouth. If you put judge and Stanton three and four respectively, I don't see a team in baseball that's going to beat these guys. Um, and, and, and another thing, if the Yankees would like to save money, they can get rid of Mr. Boone and hire me because anybody <laughs> can write this lineup. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great point, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's so beautiful, man. I mean, I, you know, it really, it, there's no excuse for them to not win a hundred this year. No, no excuse to be home, you know, to, 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 to have the buy in the playoffs. These guys should be a World Series team without a loss in the playoffs. Thoughts? Yeah. yeah. How about that for expectations? Go. You should win a hundred games, Aaron Boone, and you should go. And you should go eleven and zero in the playoffs and yeah. win a World Series. Here's the the only thing Saturday that I I just had in the back of my mind all day was that this was such a typical like mid two thousands Yankee move, right? Like. Hey, we're gonna go sign Gary Sheffield because we can. Like we're gonna sign Bobby. We're gonna trade for Bobby Abreu because we can. And it brings up this the 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 Red Sox comments and the the Evil Empire stuff. And it's like this wasn't necessary, but they went and did it anyway. And you now can't you pass have these it up. crazy right. And now you have these crazy expectations. But I just had this song on. Re- I've never I've seen one Star Wars movie, but I had this song like on repeat in my head all day. And to John's point, uh, yeah, I can spell Judge, I can spell Stanton, I can spell Sanchez. I, I can fill out that lineup card. I think I would be okay doing that. I can figure it out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get another phone call in. Uh, we've got Dean in Liverpool up next on Orange Station. Hey, Dean. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Hey, I'm probably going to be the one of the few people that calls in and basically says, yeah, on the surface, this looks great, but again... You mentioned it just now. You're reverting back to the mid-2000 Yankees that didn't win anything because all they sat on was waiting for a home run. 
you know, we started to get better when we got people who could run in the field. We basically got a one-dimensional player who's going to have to DH because you can't have him and Judge in the outfield at the same time. I disagree with that. Have, See, Judge, you have to take Judge, insurance out in the center fielder because he's not going <laughs> to want to get between those two. Look, Judge but, last year was a gold glove caliber right fielder. He was a very good right fielder. Stanton has proven to be an adequate outfielder. Uh, at the very least, uh, I think that, you know, if they play both of them in the outfield at the same time, they'll be totally fine. You put Aaron Hicks there, he's a great defensive center fielder. Uh, DD is a great shortstop, and Torres is supposed to have a phenomenal glove. So they, they should be all right defensively. Yeah, I just think you're reverting back. And then these big guys, as they get older, I mean, I hope as long as Stanton's okay with DHing, because that's probably right. what he's going to end up mean to morphing into, where backing up Bird at first base. Or something like that, but I mean, yeah. uh, I I hate to go back to to just getting you know you're going to end up with a aging power hitter that you know is going to hit like 250, 260. You know, I I like seeing the young guys up there that came up with the organization, and it just seems like uh, losing Castro. Everybody says, oh, he's a serviceable second baseman. That guy's got like thirteen hundred hits, major league hits. I mean, he's basically, if he didn't get hurt last season, before he got hurt, he was on pace for a 190, 200-hit season. Guy hitting 300 and could hit 20 home runs. And, you know, everybody just seems to give him no respect whatsoever. But uh, give it, uh, them giving us the $30 million didn't hurt. So I, I guess we did get it for a decent price. But it kills us for getting Bryce Harper next year. So Yeah, well. Or that... anyone else coming out. So who could actually contribute on more levels? But I, I just don't. I think this is a sexy move for right now. Wow, we got home runs. I think in two or three years, we better hope that Stanton. Well, if Stanton opts out, it's going to be because he's good. Right. But, I mean, I you, just think you that, hope uh, he opts- we're going to be left with an aging, injury-prone big guy. Yeah, well, you know, here's, here's the one thing I would say about the aging stuff is, is that he's only 28 and Judge is only 25, so you have a little while to worry about that, I think. Um, as far as Harper next year, it probably counts them out, not because of money, but because of you don't have a place to play him. Uh, you know, he's not a center fielder, so you don't have a place to play him. Uh, look, I, I think this ultimately will be a good move. I, th- I think that it's it's much like the Chapman trade. You got him for pennies on the dollar. It's a lot like the A-Rod trade, isn't it? It's a lot like the A-Rod trade 13 years ago. It, it's, you know, the, the team signed him to an absurdly huge contract. They had no interest in keeping him. They had to get rid of him, and they took pennies on the dollar. They took Alfonso Soriano and Joaquin Arias to to get the the best player in the game. You just traded Starling Castro and two middle to low level minor league prospects to get a great prolific power hitter who's going to hit 270 or 275 for you. You do that. As Mike Mazio said, there there is risk involved. There's a risk anytime you make a, a trade and take on this much money and I get that. But the Yankees, it feels like said, "All right, we we will do this deal. We'll listen because we're talking about Giancarlo Stanton. We will only do this deal if it's on our terms." And while Starlin Castro was a nice player, He's not Giancarlo Stanton. Right. And so I think, and, and obviously the Yankees thought, and I think you, you know you believe the same thing, this this is worth the risk. You, yes. You, you have this for, I, I mean, yes, he needs to stay healthy in order for this to, to truly pan out. But 
you get at least what five good years you would think out of this situation before you have to start worrying about well he's you know he's starting to age or you know so and if he starts to age you stick him at DH or you put right. him in right or you put him back in right field like do do we underestimate how small right field at Yankee Stadium is the Yankees literally took a first baseman who had never played the outfield before in his life and stuck him in for in, in right field for three for for a month and a half a couple years ago because because they were just like well we don't have anybody else and anybody could do it like right field is really small at Yankee Stadium and it's even smaller when you're six six two eighty you know like he could he could he could roam right field for them without a problem three one five four three seven seventy six forty four we do need to take out a, a timeout if you're on hold stay on hold we'll get to your phone calls next Orange Nation rolls out right after this. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. Keep those phone calls coming. Phone lines open the rest of the way at 315-437-7644. Ray in Syracuse up next on Orange Nation. Hey, Ray. Ray, are you with us? Ray is not there, so let's go to Jake in Syracuse. He's next up on Orange Nation. Hey, Jake, thanks for holding. How are you? Good afternoon, guys. Hold on. Um, I just want to piggyback off the, the last caller who you know, had a kind of negative viewpoint about this. It, it kind of, If you're going to have a negative viewpoint, it kind of reminds me of when uh, the Yankees brought in Jason Giambi, the reigning defending AL MVP and he had all these home runs and RBIs for Oakland and he came to New York and he just, you know, never really did anything. Um, but let's be honest here. There's a stat out there for Stanton that shows that if he would have played in Yankee Stadium last year, he would have hit 73 home runs. Yep. So I got a feeling this this just might work pretty well. And I'm, I'm actually more worried about Boone uh, being a first-time manager and having this much pressure on him. It's good. It's going to be fun to watch one way or the other. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah, appreciate checking in, Jake. I mean, it is a good point to bring up about Boone that the expectations are high, and with all this talent, listen, there's something to be said for managing egos and making sure that you keep various stars happy. Like, if you have a lot of stars on your team, it, it can be difficult to to keep them all happy. That, that was part of what made Phil Jackson great, was right. it not? That he was able to keep future Hall of Famers, everybody happy, and, and, and I realize it's a different sport and different set of circumstances. It wasn't the day-in, day-out strategy, and it, it was wasn't necessarily the triangle and and all that stuff. It right. was you kept Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen happy Keep with how much they the got the page. ball. You right. kept Kobe and Shaq there happy with how much they were playing. There is yeah. some of that with this Yankees team. So much talent, so many superstars trying to keep everybody happy and you know divvy up days off and playing time and you know where they are in the batting order. And this is going to be important. How often do guys want to play in the field? Right, like that. That's going to be really important, and, and it's going to be really important if they don't trade Jacoby Ellsbury. How often do you play Jacoby Ellsbury? You know, Giancarlo Stanton might not want to be a DH every day, and where is he going to play? Because he's never played a game. You know, he's never started a game anywhere other than center field or in that right field or DH. You know, so so where is he going to play if you play him in the field? Because Aaron Judge started 150 games last year, all of them in right field. You know, so I, I I'm not sure. That 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 I think is going to be the biggest kind of ego check type thing. Like, okay, I'm not as good in the field. I've got to just DH. I've got to figure that out. Uh, you know, otherwise, it didn't seem like Judge had a huge ego. It didn't seem like Sanchez or Bird or Didi. You know, it, 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 that was the good part about the young guys. It didn't seem like they were big egos. 
Well, you mentioned uh, the tweet that Didi sent out about, you know, so Skip, you know, where are you putting me in the batting order? Am I still batting cleanup? That is an indication of the checking the ego at the door, right? Right. No, it, it absolutely wasn't. And it was totally joking, right? Like, it it had, like, a, a gif of The Rock from the WWE in it. Like, it, it was a total joke, like, of, of a tweet. It was very funny. Uh, I, I think, honestly, there's a lot for Brian Cashman to get to, and he can... Pop a pop a champagne bottle and celebrate a little bit because he signed a five year twenty five million dollar contract this morning apparently, uh, so he can celebrate a little bit. But there's a lot to get to whether it's trading Headley or trading Ellsbury or clearing up the outfield or getting a starting pitcher. I, at the top of my list for Brian Cashman, lock up D.D. Gregorius because uh, you know everybody. I think everybody was concerned when Derek Jeter retired. How would that transition go? Uh, I cannot think of a better way that that could have gone than than the way D.D. Gregorius has performed and handled himself. Lock him up, sign him up, keep him in pinstripes. 315-437-7644. Back to the phone lines. Mike in Syracuse up next on Orange Nation. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing, fellas? Good. This this was a great move. Uh, It was a great value. Uh, I am now more energized than ever to be a Yankee fan. I mean, I was, I was looking forward to the season, but this even gets me more excited. And, you know, these people that are naysayers, I mean, if Boston did it, we'd be like, oh, why didn't we do it? You know, it was a great move, and it's, it's going to put people in the seats, and I think it was a great investment by the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. Appreciate you checking in, Mike, and I keep going back to they did it on their terms. They, they did not give up their top prospect. Um, you know, they gave up Starlin Castro, nice player, a couple of, you know, as you put it, mid to low level minor leaguers, and they're going to get some money back, you know, three or $30 million if Stanton uh, stays past three years uh, on, on this deal. Um, you get a little bit of money back. You, you know, didn't give up any of the top prospects in your organization. You give up a nice player in Starlin Castro to get a better player in return in John Carlos Stanton. There's always going to be risk involved with any move you make, um, but this is a calculated risk, and I think it's, it's certainly well worth the risk in my opinion yeah again i go back to this feels very similar to the a-rod trade and and you took a risk you went out and you got a guy knowing he was going to have to change positions you got a guy on a massive contract who had an opt-out coming up in just a couple of years you didn't give up much right you traded your second star sec your starting second baseman who was an all-star and a, a mid to low level prospect and you went and got the premier or a premier power hitter in the game and a premier player in the game. Now, if you want to look at that and say, oh, A-Rod, that didn't work because of the last two years, you're being really short-sighted, right? They went to the playoffs nearly every year he was in pinstripes. He won two MVPs. He won, you, you won a World Series that you would not have won had he not been on the team. So all in all, that trade worked, right? Like that trade paid off. Um, you know, it's so much more similar to that than Giambi. And, and if if Giancarlo Stanton is going to have the career in pinstripes that A-Rod had in pinstripes, you take that in a heartbeat, right? You take you take the ups and downs of A-Rod in his 10, 12, 13 years, you take that right away, right? Like that like that 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 paid off and that move paid off in spades. I I don't see how this move uh I I think this move will work. Like it feels like it'll work. I think the one the one thing that that would keep it from working, in my opinion, is injury. If 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 Stanton for some reason cannot stay healthy, um, then it then it may backfire. But right. again, low risk. It's not like you gave up a ton to get him. 
Uh, and know, he, he has had injury problems. Exactly. He's, he's right. only played 145 games twice in his big league career. Um, and he's played in 100 games, 116 games, 74 games, 119 games. Uh, so he's had injury issues. But if he could stay healthy, you know, he's an all-star. He's an MVP candidate. Um, yeah, I, I mean, in, in the... In the I'm looking at his baseball pre- reference page right now. In the four years that he's played the most games, right? So he played 159 last year, 145 in 14, 150 in 2011, and 123 in uh, 2012. All four of those years, the four years he played the most games, he got MVP votes in all of them. You know, so he's an MVP caliber player when he is healthy, and he is certainly an all-star when healthy. Uh, that's the biggest question with him. Yeah, I, that, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the one thing that you know that you have to be a little concerned about if you're a Yankee fan is that you know if I don't want to say damaged goods, he's not damaged goods, but he he is injury prone to some degree. Some of it is you know out of his control. I mean, injuries a lot of times are out of your control, and and sometimes they're just fluke things. But if for some reason he is banged up and doesn't stay healthy, I could see why you know wow well, we're paying this guy a lot of yeah. money to sit on the bench and sit on the disabled list. He's also um, coming off his. Bar none, his best year of his right. career. So you do this. I yeah. mean, the, the bottom line is you do this. If you're the Yankees, that deal at this time for that player, you absolutely do it. 315 437 7644. We will wrap up our number one of Orange Nation right after this on ESPN Radio. Home of the Syracuse Crunch. Mitchell Stevens across. Here's a shot. Score! Kevin Lynch ties the game. Ackerson left side shoots. He scores! Picked off by another. Pekka takes it. For Lynch who shoots. He scores. Kevin Lynch with 103 to go in the third period. Gives the crunch its first lead. It's 3-2. to two. ESPN 97.7. 100.1. 12 and Underway on ESPN Radio. Phone lines remain open the rest of the way at 315-437-7644. Spent that entire first hour talking baseball. John Carlos Stanton, now officially a member of the New York Yankees. He's set to address the media at 2 o'clock as the winter meetings are now underway down in Florida. That was certainly the the headline from the weekend, at least up here. I mean, that was the story. John Carlos Stanton, now a member of the Yankees. We've yet to talk basketball, though, Seth. And it's amazing. We've made it a whole hour. We've made it an hour without talking SU basketball. The Orange back in action on Saturday and handled business, 72-58 over Colgate. Kind of a ho-hum victory. I mean, the Red Raiders shot the ball extremely well. 14 made threes by the Raiders, uh, one of the, the best three-point shooting teams in the country. Uh, Syracuse got double-figure scoring from Battle, Brissett, Howard, their big three. All three of those guys played all 40 minutes. Battle led the way with 24. Brissett chipped in 20. Frank Howard, uh, 18 points, six assists. Bounce back from that that rough game that he had uh, the last time out against UConn, um, but 
you know, he, he still turned it over six times, something that, that he's working on, but bounce back. I thought he played fairly well. Yeah. And this team heads into final exam week eight and one. And I don't know how many SU fans had this team eight and one through nine games. Yeah, no, I, I, look, you, you can't complain about Saturday's game. You called it ho-hum. I, I would call it boring, uh, you know, lackluster. Or it, it, there, there was just some kind of energy that didn't feel like it was there. I, I don't know what it was, uh, but it just it felt like there was something missing in the Dome on Saturday. Uh, you know, Syracuse got the win. They won by 14 points. The game all game was a lot closer than 14 points. Um, but they won by 14, and, and they beat Colgate. And more importantly, they didn't lose to Colgate. Uh, so you move on with your week, and you you head into finals week, and and uh, you know Georgetown is up next, and and I don't know that Georgetown is good. I don't think Georgetown is very good this year. They're playing an awful schedule, uh, so they're undefeated. But I, I don't think that says anything about them. Um, you know, let go go down and take care of business, and 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 beat a down Georgetown team. Uh, you know that has yet to face anybody. Of you know your size and your athleticism. I think the the thing that concerns you the most about heading down to Georgetown is that it is your first true road game. That's number one, and I think number two is that you've got the entire week off. It's final exam week. Right. It's a you know a mentally taxing week for the guys. And you know when when you're in a rhythm of playing, and I, and I know they've played a lot of games in a short period of time, but when you're in a, a rhythm of you know playing. You know, Monday, Friday, Saturday, or you know, whatever it may be, three games in in a week. Well, you wouldn't play Friday, Saturday, but you you know my yeah. point. You play three games they just in eight three days. Three games in nine days, right? Yeah. You play three games in eight or nine days. You're in a certain rhythm, right? And then you you take a week off, and it's important to take this week off. And I I, I get that, and you you take care of your final exams, but you're just practicing. There will be, I think, to some degree, a little rust involved, and you're going to your your first true road game. So I think those are are. You know certain concerns for this team, um, but they've played very well. And and you mentioned the Colgate game was a lot closer than than people expected. You know throughout, and Colgate cut it to six early in the second half, got it down to seven on a couple of occasions. The thing I like about this team, and we saw the same thing against UConn, right? I mean Syracuse was up big at the half. You felt like all right, they're going to cruise in the second half, and and I think you know many people believed it at halftime of the Syracuse game against Colgate over the weekend. You know it's thirty eight twenty six. You figure okay, it's twelve point game. SU's going to win by twenty or more. That didn't happen. On the the positive side of things is that every time we've seen you know a team make it close against Syracuse, with the exception of Kansas, and that game kind of right. stands in its own category. But every other game we've seen. You know, one of these mid-majors make a run, or whether it's UConn or Colgate make a bunch of threes and they make it seven or they make it six. Syracuse always seems to have the answer. And and to me, that's a very encouraging sign. Yeah, no, they've been able to answer. They've been able to punch back, so to speak. You know, they, they've taken care of business and they've beaten all these mid-majors, which is all you can ask for, right? It's, it's hard to ask for too much more than going out and winning games that you, you know, quote-unquote, should win. Uh, and that's really what Syracuse has done so far this year. They've punched back when they've needed to. You know, Colgate goes on a little run to open up the the second half, and and SU punches back and and opens the lead back up. You know, to double digits, um, and then it kind of stayed at seven, eight, nine, twelve points for for the majority of the second half. Um, you know, I think it it got down to maybe five. Got, know, towards the got end, down to and six. Six, six was the closest and then, they got. And then Syracuse really pulled away. You know, at the end of the game, um, I, I understand what they were doing. I, I think, I, you know, I think I get it that they, you know, had to play, you know, a certain way, and they didn't want to just impose their physical will 
uh, over Colgate, but I think that there were times where they could have. I think that there were times where Tyus Battle and O'Shea Brissett could have made a more concerted effort to get to the basket. And, you know, I, I was sitting there watching, and, and I was talking with a couple of the other people on press row. There were times, especially in the first half, Tyus Battle could have gotten literally any shot he wanted to get. Whatever he wanted, wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted. He could have gotten any shot he wanted. Um, and he kept kind of shooting threes and, and settling for jumpers. Uh, you know, maybe that's by design, right? Maybe maybe the, maybe the coaching staff says, hey, play it like another game. Play, you know, get get in your work and, 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 and work on shooting. And he shot four of nine from three. Uh, but at, at, at other points, you know, the, game's, the, the game is getting close and, and all of a sudden they go to the basket and they impose their will. You know, like you, you can kind of see it coming. So I, I'm curious to see what happens against Georgetown. Um I would imagine they're better than Colgate, but I, I have no idea. You look at that second half, Seth, and Colgate made it interesting, I would say, on, on three occasions. Ferguson hit a three to make it 43-37. Who responds? It was O'Shea Brissett getting to the basket and, and made it eight, and then yep. Dolajai would score and make it ten, and then they extend the lead. Then Ferguson hits another three and cuts it to seven. And then it's Tyus Battle who steps up the next couple of possessions and gets big buckets, and it goes from seven to 13 before you know it. Then... Colgate again cuts it to seven with about five and a half to go, 61-54. And this time it was Frank Howard who responds, got to the free throw line, uh, made a couple of free throws, made a jumper on the next time down where he passed up a three, put the ball on the floor, pulls up from you know about 17 feet away. And then and so four straight points from Frank Howard. You, the fact that they have options in that situation, opponent made it close on, on really three occasions in the second half, and it was it was a different guy each time. It was yes. Brissett, then it was Battle, then it was Howard. And and I think that you know yes you you wish you had a little more offensive firepower on this team and and when you you look back to last year they had more answers more potential answers on that team but these three guys are so good and so versatile um, that I want to say in some ways this team is is more dangerous when games get close because. You you don't have one true go to guy. Obviously, battle is is, is going to take yes, yes. I, and I get that. But you have two other guys who are going to have their ball the ball in their hands a lot who can make plays. Frank Howard can make plays on his own. O'Shea Brissett can make plays on his own. Tyus Battle can make plays on his own. Right. And last year that was not necessarily the case. Andrew White was not putting the ball on the floor and blowing by anyone. T- Tyler Lydon, as good as he is, was not putting the ball on the floor and blowing by anyone. John Gillen was the one guy who could do that, and he had trouble finishing in the lane once he got in close. So right. I realized last year's team was probably better offensively from top to bottom, but but the versatility of this team makes me wonder if in close games this team is more dangerous offensively in close games. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, and, and and it's not an idea that I disagree with. I think that it might be more dangerous this year than it was last year. And I know that last year you had a, a dead-eye shooter, right? Like, I, I know that. in in, in I, I know that you had another guy who was a really good shooter and, and could make a play and had some good post moves in Tyler Lydon. John, John Gillen was a very good shooter and could make his way to the rim. But I think that these three, you know, as you look as a whole, are, are a little bit more well-rounded. Like, I, I had no faith in Andrew White going to make a play for himself or trying to create his own shot, right? He he was really a catch-and-shoot, a one-dribble-and-shoot kind of a guy. You know, John Gillen, I didn't really have too much faith in him trying to get to the basket because when he got into the trees, he had some issues. You know, uh, Tyler Lydon, uh, you know, he was hesitant to pull the trigger. The Clemson game, it was supposed to be his shot. He had the open look, instead drove him past. You know, he was always looking for that better play. So I, I think that this year you have uh, three guys who maybe are a little bit more well-rounded. 
um, and all want to take the shot, right? Like, I, I think that we could say that much about O'Shea Brissett and Frank Howard. They've got the ball in their hands. They want to take that shot, right? They're not passing it up. They're not giving it off to the freshman in the corner, right? They're, they want to shoot the ball. They want to be the guys with the ball in their hands, uh, all three of them. All three of them took 12 or more shots. All three of them scored 18 or or more points. Uh, you know, the rest of the team scored 10 combined. Like, these guys want to shoot the ball, which I think is a good thing. Those three took a combined 17 shots from three-point range. Yep. They got to the free throw line 18 times between them. And, and I think that, you know, we're going to see more of that as this season moves along. Statistically, Syracuse is one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country right now. Now, I, I, I tend to think that that number will come up a little bit. I, I tend to think that O'Shea Brissett will get more comfortable from three as the season moves along. Frank Howard's shot looks to. a lot better. Tyus Battle was four for nine from three-point range. So, I don't think this team is going to be a 25% shooting team from three-point range for the entire season. Right now, they are statistically one of the worst teams in that category. Where are they at their best? Get into the basket and get into the free throw line. And that's where they make up those extra points. For a while there on Saturday, it felt like they were trading three for two. The way they make up for that is defensive rebounding. When the opposing team misses, they are getting rebounds, and they have one of the best rebounding margins in the country. And then on the other end, they're not shooting the three all that great, but they are getting to the free throw line, and they are shooting their free throws by and large pretty well. Shot better than 71% on Saturday. 30 Colgate misses. Syracuse had 25 offensive rebounds. That is such an overlooked stat. It is so important. And it's not just Colgate. I mean, it has been across the board this year. Everyone they've played. I mean, that was a, a big reason they beat UConn. Was, was rebounding on both ends, limiting yes. UConn to, to one shot, and then on the other end getting second-chance points. And it is such an overlooked stat, but it, it is a, such an important part of this particular team. They are not the most offensively gifted team from top no, to bottom. not at all. But they make up for it with solid defense, holding the opponent to one and done, and then on the other end getting second-chance points. Right. And I think more importantly than rebounding margin is that kind of rebound percentage, right? 30 misses, 25 rebounds. Uh, more so than oh well you yeah, got rebounded them thirty three to twenty three well that doesn't really tell me, that doesn't really tell me much of anything it tells me a lot that you cleaned up that you, you know they only got six offensive rebounds they only had you know five opportunities to get offensive rebounds because you were so good on the defensive glass this team is really good defensively and really good at rebounding uh, and, and they're gonna have to be. To win games because they've only got three offensive weapons. Right now, Syracuse fourth in the country and rebounding margin. The team right behind them, and again, I know they've played a very light schedule. Uh, Georgetown fifth in the country in rebounding margin. So if you're looking for a key stat or a key matchup going into this game on Saturday down at the Verizon Center, uh, keep your eye on the, the rebounding battle. Uh, whoever wins that uh, could get a leg up in this game. 315-437-7644. Phone lines remain open the entire way. If you want to talk some Q's basketball, we'd love to hear from you got to take our first time out here in hour number two back after this on espn radio serve pro is a proud supporter of orange basketball coverage on the pulse of the orange espn radio 97.7 and 100.1